If you've got your Bibles there or you've got your phone switched on to the Bible app or however you use it, let's turn to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. If you were with us at the beginning of the year, uh, we commence to look through uh, the first bit of Luke's gospel and we're going to pick up where we left off uh, around about January. Goodness me, that seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, and we're going to pick up the story from where we left it. So if you uh, missed that in January, uh, do it's all there on YouTube forever and ever and ever. And if you've got any time um, then and you want to catch up with where we started this series, uh, then click on YouTube for January and you'll be able to find it there. But here we go, verse 27. So after this, so this is after he'd healed the paralyzed man, you know, and who had been dropped through the roof, well, lowered through the roof. Thankfully, he wasn't dropped. And um, the story of Jesus was beginning to unfold. And so after that, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet. A crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say, the old is better. Amen. Who can agree with that, the old is better? Anybody agree the old is better? I love that phrase in the Bible. It gives me hope. When I get to your age, it'll be better than it is now. It's a great phrase that, the old is better. It's always... uh, always grab my attention a bit and um, I've been thinking about it a lot this week I'll share a little bit of that in a, in a few moments and I think I might have got it wrong but I thought I'd share it anyway because then you can have a think about it and together we can work it out so if you were with us at the beginning of January uh, the beginning of this year we uh, introduced our text for 2023 and uh, the text was on a little card there's still a few left and this was the text proclaim the year of the Lord's favor These were the words that Jesus spoke when he got up in the synagogue as he commenced his ministry and you can find them in Luke chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 when Jesus was handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and read these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And we felt that this was a verse that uh, God was giving to us uh, as a leadership team to take us into 2023, to seek God's favor for us as individuals, of course, when we seek his blessings in our lives, but also for us as the church to see more of God's favor and his blessing upon us. And I think if we look back in the last six months, there are many ways that we've seen God's favor. And I know talking to many of you that you have seen God's favor at work in your lives as well. That you've seen God do new things. You've seen God answer prayers in a way that perhaps you've been longing for for a long time. As we've sort of thought about what is the favor and the blessing that God wants to bring. You see, Jesus was saying, you know, something is changing. When he came into this beginning of his ministry, something was changing. This is the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom. This is the year when things are going to begin to change. And as we began to look through Luke's gospel earlier in the year, and as we'll do for the next few weeks again today, we see the change that was beginning to happen, the favor of God, the blessings of God that were beginning to be poured out through the life and words and ministry of Jesus as well. Because Jesus came to bring life, didn't he? He came to bring something fresh out of what was there already, to give hope to people. That manifesto declaration, you know, he was there to proclaim good news to the poor. He, he wanted to draw those who felt isolated and excluded and neglected and marginalized. He wanted to bring them in to say, no, God has blessing to give you as well. Whatever the circumstances you're in, God has favor for you. Freedom for those who feel constrained, who feel tied down like prisoners. People who can't experience the freedom of knowing what Jesus, that, that sense of sin in our lives that easily entangles us, the writer of the Hebrews says to recovery of sight for the blind, to those who cannot see the way forward in their lives. Jesus wants to bring that light to burst in, to say, this is the way, this is the favor I want to put into your life from this day forward. These are the blessings I want to give you. And I realize some of you are still waiting for them. Some of you are still waiting for his favor and his blessing, but it is coming. It's coming. And God wants us to be the people who are are waiting patiently, believing, trusting that there is favor to come. And I know that some of you now are, are saying, well, I, I want it now. That your life is not in that place where you're seeing that favor or blessing. Maybe something's happened it has got even worse in the last six months. But here's Jesus who is still proclaiming his blessing upon his people. He has favor and blessing for each of us, for you today as well. Whatever our circumstances, we can know and experience the promise being fulfilled. I've come to proclaim, to tell you, to announce it. This is good news. Like our football team winning three matches. I mean, who would have ever believed that our football team would win three matches in one day? But they did. This is good news. No wonder they want to announce it. No wonder they want to declare it. It's good news, and that's the news that Jesus brings that he longs to proclaim in your life as well. A message that we've been given to say, this is the word of the Lord into our lives, into your life today. And so we're going to look at uh, the next bit of this story over these next few weeks during the rest of this month of July. So let's start with this passage. And I want to talk about God's favor being a wider welcome today. That's my theme. That God's favor is to give a wider welcome 
than we can imagine. So the unlikely and the unexpected and the last and the least and the lost, they are welcome. You're welcome. I'm welcome. God's favor is upon us today. So in the earlier chapters of of the ministry of Jesus, after he announced this passage from Isaiah, we see that he'd already brought some healing to people. He'd already driven out a demon. He'd already forgiven this paralyzed man who had been lowered through the roof. And so there's the reality that Jesus is bringing in his favor right from the very beginning. This is his message. This is his reason for being here. It's to lift people's eyes to say there's something more that is here. There is this wider welcome that you are included with today. And so in our passage, he does, opens the door even further when he sits down with a tax collector, with Levi, who we know as Matthew. And this was the beginning of Matthew's own journey of faith as he too encountered this wider welcome from Jesus, the favor of God's blessing in his life as well. I mean, here's a man who is despised and hated as a tax collector. Here's a man who's on the edges because he works for the Roman Empire and and siphons off great loads of money for his own personal gain uh, whilst taking the Roman taxes as he should have done. Here's a man who very few people might encounter other than his fellow tax collectors. And Jesus chooses to go and sit down and have a meal with him. And then there's this issue of fasting as well. And so in the encounter with the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who couldn't understand why Jesus' disciples weren't doing what they did, Jesus tells them, yeah, fasting is okay, but this is not the time for it to happen. There's something new happening now. And this is the reality of, of this wider welcome, that there's something new. Or maybe he's just reminding people of something very old that they'd lost sight of. Maybe he's reminding them of the old that they've drifted away from. Maybe he's telling them, you know what, there's something ancient that you've lost sight of here. That actually the way that you are seeking to follow God is not the way that I am going to declare to you for the future. Maybe his something new is the old because after all the old is is better. And so despite this being shocking to his, his, the people of his day, to sit down in the house of a tax collector, to not fast when you should have fasted, perhaps what Jesus is trying to point out is actually this is the way that God intended right at the very beginning. You know, as we read through the Old Testament story, we see many different laws and regulations and rules beginning to be put in place. But they're there because people's hearts are hard, because we've turned away from. And so there needed to be some sort of realignment that God wanted to give. But it's not the best. It's not what God intended right at the very beginning of how we should live. And this is one of the challenges that I think we can face as well, that we need to make a correction to our lives. Go to the next slide, Doug, thank you. We need to make a correction because we've gone off course, because our lives have drifted away from where God intended them to be right at the very beginning, just as the Pharisees and the disciples of the law had lost sight of this favor that God wanted to pour out. So it is that perhaps we too 
have gone off course and need to find a place of connection. Perhaps the newness that Jesus brings is simply an echo of the beginning, the freedom of God's creation. Maybe it's just a new breath blowing into our lives saying, you know what, it's time to get back to where this all started. I mean, listen to the complaints. Chapter 5, verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why, why do you think? Because that was sort of God's intention right from the very beginning that we should be one. We should be a people drawn to him. Verse 33. John's disciples often fast and pray and so do the disciples, the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Who's gone in the wrong direction is the question perhaps we need to ask. Who's drifted away from the the course that God wants his people to make? There's time for a new breath to come in to make a correction. I don't know if you know the one in 60 rule, do you? So the one in 60 rule, let me, let me enlighten you. So this, is a, this says that for every one degree out out on their course setting. So if you're in a plane or you go on a cruise, for every one degree that the pilot is out on the course that he set, after 60 miles, you'll be one mile off course. Okay? So every 600 miles you travel, you'll be 10 miles off course. And every 6,000 miles you travel, you'll be a 100 miles off course if you don't start in the right direction. Now, I realize some of you, perhaps even when you're driving, have ended up 600 miles off course. Maybe, I don't know, depending who's the navigator. But it's much more difficult in a car, isn't it? Because you've got a road. And a railway, well, you hope the railways are laid fairly straight, so you'll end up where you are. But if you're in the air or on the sea, maybe just one degree out means that you end up further and further away off course. Now, in a recent book, uh, a lady called Louise Patton Uh, She's the granddaughter of the Titanic second officer, Charles Lightoller. And she made a claim in her book that Titanic hit an iceberg in 1912 because of a basic steering error. You knew that, didn't you, anyway? She claims this. This is what her grandfather told them. They could easily have avoided the iceberg if it wasn't for the blunder. Instead of steering Titanic safely around to the left of the iceberg, once it had been spotted dead ahead, the steersman, Robert Hitchens, had panicked and turned it the wrong way. And she says that because the conversion from sail ships to steamships meant there were two different steering systems in place. And sadly, they steered the way as if it was a steam I was going to say train. I didn't mean a steam train. A steam ship. And if only they'd steered it the correct way, the way that they intended, they may well have avoided it. When you're off course, it's time to make a correction. And I think Jesus came to correct the course that we were headed on. He revealed just how far away we drifted over all that time of seeking to follow. But God had intended for a different path. And Jesus came to call us back to that one. For some, maybe it was the spirit of religiosity that had got in the way, that religious spirit that had drifted into the lives of the people then. Maybe they'd got so used to it and followed it 
But Jesus came to call us back. To call us back to say, you know what, maybe the old is better. Maybe the way that God intended is better and it's not too late to get back on course. He is the ancient of days. He is the one who knows the very mind of God. He's the one who says, you know what, there are no barriers in God's eyes. There, can, there doesn't need to be anything in the way of our relationship with the Creator. That's what was at the beginning, and that's where I'm calling you back to. You know, in the beginning story in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they walked freely in the garden. In the cool of the day, God would come and walk with them. There was nothing in the way, literally, <laughs> actually, literally nothing in the way of their relationship with the Father until that time that day when they steered a different course. See, the good news is that it's not too late to make a correction. So Jesus sits down with tax collectors and he welcomes them. Jesus doesn't enforce the fasting rules, not because fasting is wrong, but because this wasn't the time. He tells them that there is a wider welcome for all who will call on his name. But things get in the way, don't they? Stuff happens in all our lives. And barriers go up that stop us receiving God's favor and blessings that he wants to give us. I, I wonder what, what some of the th- those things might be. If we can just go to the next side. So maybe sin. Maybe sin's got in the way. Choosing to act in a way that isn't the way Jesus calls us to. Some pattern of behavior that keeps tripping us up, tangles us in knots. So we end up way away from the direction that we're called to. Maybe that's just one thing that could get in the way. What about separatism? Well, clearly in this story, there was a separation going on. Certain people were included, certain people were excluded. And if there's no welcome, there's no accepting, but there's just judging in place, then we have gone a long way off course. And then I came across a new word today that I thought I'd share with you. Scrupulosity. Is that a good word? Scrupulosity. I give you that one for free today, okay? Well, apparently this was first coined in 1691 by a gentleman called John Moore. And he called it religious melancholy. Have you ever suffered from religious melancholy? You know, you're just not quite feeling it. Not quite there. He said it made people fear that what they do is so defective and unfit to be presented unto God that he will not accept it. You begin to feel that no matter what I do, I don't think I'm going to be acceptable to God. And you keep doing it because that's what you do. So you go through the routines, you go through the rituals, you sing the songs, you read the Bible, you keep on doing it, but somehow you feel it's not enough. He called it scrupulosity. It is a condition, actually. You can, you can look it up. When what you do is not quite enough, or you feel it's not quite enough. And we know, don't we, that's far from the point. If we'll do everything we can to, to, to get God's favor, we fear that if we don't do it, then we'll miss out on it. But God doesn't operate like that. It gets in the way of God's freedom to want to give us what he longs to give Jesus came to open the door, to widen the welcome, to make a bigger table, if you like, so that we can all experience the old wine. 
because I'm told the old wine is better. Can anybody agree with that? Is the old wine better? <laughs> I'll take your word for it. So maybe Jesus was saying this positively, the old wine is better. It's not the new you're seeking. It's not what you've become, drifting off course. It's getting back on course. It's making the correction back to what he intended. That this is the resurrection life. That this is the way to God's favor and his blessing. So what, what can you do if you've drifted off? Here's just a few things to make a correction. Recognize that your moral compass is broken. So stop using it. It's taking you way off course. Ask for forgiveness. Turn around. Start looking to Jesus. That's the offer that he gives. The welcome is back to you. Repent. Do what you did at first. Move back to that place of your first love. Work with a co-pilot. It's good to have somebody else who's noticing that you've gone off course and who speaks to you about it and says, come on, we need to get back on course here. Somebody to help you, to come alongside you, to say, let's make a few changes. Let's get this compass going the right way again. And then start to make small changes. Begin to put in some different ways of connecting with Jesus. Maybe regularly meeting up with somebody. Maybe regularly getting into the Bible with, with determination and help. Reading a great Christian book that will help you just to get back on course. But be patient because change takes time. It takes time for a big ship to correct its course. It doesn't happen with one turn of the wheel. It takes time and distance to get back on course. So be patient because God is patient with you. So make a connection that will take you back to where you need to go. Can I just show you my garden? Would you mind if I show you my garden today? Look at that. Are you impressed? That was yesterday, sorry. It wasn't today. Looking, looking even better today. Now, you all know I, I'm not a gardener, right? I, I'm a very, very, very amateur gardener. But uh, with Kerry, who's excellent at this, then together we sort of, uh, well, no, we've done nothing really, have we? And uh, is that clematis or clematis? <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it? It's the same thing. But that is amazing, isn't it? We planted that three years ago. And uh, the first year it, what did it do the first year? Creeped. Slept. It slept. Yeah, for, they tell me, Clematis, first year you sleep, second year you creep, and third year you leap. Did you know that about Clematis? So this is the third year, okay? This is year three. Has it leapt? But the amazing thing about Clematis, has anybody else got Clematis in their garden? What's amazing about it, it throws out these little tendrils. Do you know what a ten, the tendril is? So it's a little shoot that's desperate to cling hold of something. And if it doesn't find anything to cling hold of, it just falls to the ground. But these little shoots, they keep coming out. And they're all wound up and they're looking for something to wind up against, to connect to. I mean, it's a bit like those runner beans. They, runner beans need a pole, don't they? Be rubbish without a pole, wouldn't they? They're looking for something just to wind up. And isn't it amazing that once they find it, they flourish. That run, those, I've chopped those runner beans tops off a few times already because they're just getting too tall. And no matter what I tell them, they're still growing. 
They're looking for something else to climb hold of. If I had a bigger pole, then they would keep on going, wouldn't they? Looking for a connection. And when you find a connection, then you begin to flourish. It's an amazing thing in nature that I think reflects us and our lives as well. I think there are people longing for a connection, longing, reaching out to find something in life that is going to bring them back on course, that is going to help them to experience the wider welcome that Jesus offers them so that they can get to taste that the old is better. They come back to that place of first beginnings, of first loves, and say, this is what I gave my life to. And Jesus says, yes, this is what I gave my life for, for you. The connection is you're welcome around this table no matter who you are. The connection is you're, you're welcome to celebrate without any fear or doubts or feeling that you're going to mess up. You're welcome to come and celebrate this, to receive this blessing, to find the joy of the kingdom that is his gift to all who respond. If your life is heading off course, make a connection. Connect to him. It's what Paul wrote in Acts chapter 17. So in Acts chapter 17, uh, Matthew Lang spoke about this passage a few weeks ago here. And uh, this is what Paul said. He said to the people he was talking to in Athens, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. You see, there's no restrictions. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed everything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. If you're looking for connection, reach out. Reach out and grab hold of the one who's waiting for you to connect to him. The poor in spirit, they're welcome around the table. That's where they'll find connection. The people who feel trapped, who've lost sight of what life can be, who are weighed down by the cares of the world, they're welcome around this table as well. There's a connection for them in Jesus so maybe Jesus did come to remind us of something old, to remind us of something that tasted better, to remind us of a life that was all in all its fullness, where his favor and his blessing would be poured out upon those who were heading his way. Maybe the old would taste brand new, and trying to put all the new things on would not be the way forward. And the people around him, they saw it, they responded to it, they received it, they followed him, they enjoyed him, they celebrated with him, they were healed by him, they were forgiven by him. Because that's what he offers to those who make a connection with him each day. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be connected to him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We praise him for that. We praise him that Jesus, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor into your life, his blessings, his healing, his forgiveness, his direction, his freedom, his salvation. It's what was offered at the very beginning of time itself. It's what God's plan and purpose is as we head towards the end as well. This is the vision that all will come and eat in the kingdom of God and know the presence and power of Jesus who welcomes us in. Do you need to make a correction to the course you're heading at the moment? Do you need to make a connection to the one you can cling hold of who gives you strength? He wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his favor on you. You just have to receive it. It's there for the asking.